0: Hi, everyone. It's really good to be able to be with you today and share God's word with you, uh, no matter where you are. Uh, as As a mom and as a parent, I guess, You can normally find me bemoaning technology a little bit, as we totally spend too much time on it. But in these circumstances and in the days that we find ourselves in, I guess I've definitely found a a brand new thankfulness for it, and I can see now that it it does have its uses. Um, And my children, of course, are feeling totally vindicated now in that, and this is going to come back and bite me during the week, I'm sure but we are continuing on today with our lenten series cross-examination as rob has already said and i hope some of you have this lenten booklet that we've put together to share with you as we roll out this series we are doing week four and five together this week this series is looking at the words spoken to jesus around the cross and Up until now, through the last few weeks, we've heard from passers-by, we've heard from soldiers, we've heard from the chief priests, and today it is the turn of the two criminals who were crucified on either side of Jesus on the day he was crucified. We're not really given much information about these men. Crucifixion was usually a punishment that was reserved for those who were non-Romans, non-Roman citizens, and it was also a punishment reserved for treason. And as they are quite often referred to as thieves, these two men, it's more likely they were probably members of some sort of liberation-minded gang that harassed and robbed Roman occupiers, although some translations do refer to them as rebels or revolutionaries. The Gospels usually mention names, but here we're not really told anything personal about these men. But how they speak to Jesus really represents two very stark choices. To defy Jesus and be separated from God, or to love and trust Jesus, and be with him forever. So these are the words of these men that are recorded in Luke twenty-three, thirty-nine to 42. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done no wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now there has been a running theme through each week as we look at what is said to Jesus. It's this shout of, save yourself, this constant inciting of the demeaning of Jesus, this mocking tone. And it makes me wonder if that mocking tone was indeed real, or maybe it was to disguise a deep, deep hope in these people that maybe, just maybe, he would do one more miracle that would help them believe or give them the courage to to accept him for who he claimed to be. But Jesus had done all his preaching. He had done all his miracles. He hadn't come to save himself and now had to finish what he did come to accomplish, which was to pay the price for humanity's sin with his sacrificial death, and to bring salvation and redemption for all of us through his resurrection. These two criminals on either side of Jesus in today's passage, they both want to be saved from death, but how differently they both sought that salvation, how differently they both saw that salvation. The first criminal He still has his eyes on the world, and he's blinded by fear and by his own self-righteousness. To him, Jesus is not a king to be followed. He is simply a possible ticket to getting down off this cross, so he can go back to getting on with the life that he knows. This man has no understanding of his own brokenness and his need to change. He is one, it seems, who has hardened his heart towards God. To him, this possible Messiah, Jesus, could merely be useful to his own gain. But to the other criminal, Jesus has become beautiful. The other criminal is a man who fears God, He has a reverence for God and an understanding of his justice and his love for people, which he probably grew up with if he grew up as a Jew. And as he is in pain and is being crucified beside Jesus, he probably heard him plead forgiveness from his Father in heaven for the people who put him there. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Maybe this man is just in complete awe of Jesus' grace and mercy. And his gaze is now shifted from the world. His gaze is shifted towards the kingdom of God. He is beginning to see beyond the seen into the unseen. He acknowledges his own sin And he is able to to measure it against the righteousness and the innocence of Jesus. Remember, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. And he's filled with remorse and confession, which ultimately brings about his surrender and salvation. And this is just such an amazing testimony to the power of God's grace in our lives. Even in his suffering, This man's plea is not to come down from the cross, to be saved from the cross, but his plea is to accept his cross and to be remembered and to live in peace with Christ in his kingdom. Jesus never misses an opportunity to save his children from separation from God. And this man is immediately given what he asks for immediate forgiveness, love and acceptance with no hesitation. So what can we learn from these two men and their words to Jesus? I came across this idea of Jesus being useful to us or beautiful to us a few years ago on a blog post from Anne Voskamp, and it's always stuck with me. She wrote, When Jesus is merely useful to me, I want him to move my world. But when Jesus is ultimately beautiful to me, my heart is moved and this begins to change the world. And when we approach Jesus like that first criminal, we're coming with quite an entitled heart, wanting our our own way and with our own unchecked motives to be answered. But when we approach Jesus like the second criminal, with reverence and acknowledging his amazing grace, we are able to trust his beautiful nature and live out of a place of surrender and peace. And I think in these times when our world needs the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus more than ever, we need to turn our hearts in adoration to him to experience Him as beautiful, not just useful, so that we can be assured that we are in tune with His will, that we are carrying out His purposes, and that we are bringing His love to the world around us. Maybe in these times when we're at home, um, more than we usually are, even though some of us are maybe a little bit more busy with family and with homeschooling, Maybe we do have a little bit more time to grab a moment with God, to connect with him and to see his beauty for ourselves. And a practical way to do that is to use the R.E.S.T. acronym. As you sit and, and pray quietly, or even if you're going out in nature to get some fresh air or engaging with God however you choose, rest. R is for recite. Recite God's goodness. What is true about God? How has he cared for you? How is he beautiful to you? Speak it out. Use words of scripture. Use hymn songs, worship songs. E is for express. Express your needs. What do you need to confess to God? What do you need from him at this time? S is for seek. Seek his stillness. Pause and be still. Become aware of his presence, his peace and his guidance. And T is for trust. Trust in his faithfulness. Give him your burdens and declare your trust for him. Cast your cares on the Lord, for he will sustain you. So this is my prayer for us as we go into this next week, that we see God as beautiful, not merely useful that we are ones that ask not to be saved from the crosses we bear, but that we are ones who ask God to remember us and to walk with us through these times of uncertainty with our eyes on his kingdom. I pray that we can take time to be still in his presence and give thanks for his love and his forgiveness in our lives, and that by his Holy Spirit, that we will get to share his presence and peace through our lives wherever we are this week. Amen.